0: You are listening to WRFG Atlanta 89.3 FM. Up next, Alternative Perspectives, Atlanta's only queer radio hour. Hold on tight! Thank you so much for listening to WRFG Atlanta, 89.3 FM streaming at WRFG.org. Welcome to Alternative Perspectives. This is Atlanta's only local radio hour that's devoted exclusively to issues affecting Atlanta's queer community. And I say Atlanta's queer community, but it's really the queer community community across the globe. Um, I am your host, Greg Boston, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, The opinions expressed here, as always, are those of myself and my guests and do not necessarily represent the views of WRFG, its employees, board, volunteers, funders, or even you, the listeners. So um, hello, everybody. Uh, On the last day of January, 2023, uh it's a mild day or it was a mild day today weather wise and um i don't know i'll be honest i'm i'm a little down today um I should have a show about it, but i won't uh <laughs> at least not today um so tonight on the show, we are interviewing an award winning director uh and an and an Emmy nominated producer. Uh, and founder of Tello Films. Uh, Her name is Kristen Baker, uh, and uh, she's the founder of Tello Films, which focuses on lesbian queer content and is actually the first LGBTQ network to receive an Emmy nomination. In 2017, their series uh, Sex and Execs, sex is like secretaries, uh, earned an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Actress in a short film, comedy, or drama series um and so uh and actually it was for austin powers actress mindy sterling also in 2019 the series riley para received two emmy nominations for actresses liz vassey and carolyn Ratteray. so we'll have Kristen on the show tonight to talk about the importance of lgbtq representation both behind and in front of the camera i'm ex- interested to talk about it. You know, we see a lot of gay these days on television. um, And so I'm interested in Kristen's take on how we got to this place. She's been uh, directing and producing LGBTQ films for years. And I think she's probably one of the reasons why uh, we've gone mainstream to a certain extent. But then also, I'm just curious to see what her thoughts are about the future of uh, uh, queer television as its own genre. Uh, but anyway, before we get into that news, news of the queer, uh-uh. I know that's right. Oh, no, she didn't say what. And the news is not great uh, these days. <laughs> uh, we have Alexa here. Alexa, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty good. You know, I told you I'm I'm pushing through, doing my best.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So the news stories aren't wonderful but um let's see uh let's see what we have there is one thing that i want to cover so if you don't mention it i will but i won't tell you what it is uh yeah. so uh uh what you got for us
1: so i thought we'd start with at least a little encouraging news oh um, that's good i can find yeah so fda proposes easing blood donation rules for gay and bisexual men. Um, And so for those who don't know, under current rules, the FDA restricts donations from gay and bisexual men if they have had sex with another man in the past three months. Um, And I will admit, up until a few years ago, I did not know this. One of my friends told me, and he was like, yeah, I can't get blood. And I was like, what are you talking about? Um, It just sounded asinine to me. But the story goes, the Food and Drug Administration on Friday proposed easing blood donation guidelines for gay and bisexual men. Under current rules, the FDA allows donations from gay and bisexual men if they haven't had sex with another man for three months. In a draft proposal posted to the agency's website, The FDA said that the new rules would allow anyone to donate blood, regardless of gender or sexual orientation, as long as they haven't engaged in certain sexual behaviors in the last three months. That would mean most gay and bisexual men who are in monogamous relationships with another man will no longer need to abstain from sex to donate blood. Um, Here's a statement. Um, This is a great first step in getting in the right direction, says Dr. Peter Marks the director of the FDA Center of Biologists, excuse me, evaluation and research, um, he said on a Friday call. The new rules, he said, are consistent with those of Canada and the United Kingdom. Under the new guidelines, blood donors who report having a new sexual partner or more than one sexual partner would be asked about the sexual activity over the last three months. Um, People who are taking oral medications to prevent HIV, such as PrEP, and people who have recently had sex in exchange for money or drugs would be subject to a three-month deferral period under the FDA proposal. Those taking injectable PrEP to prevent HIV infection would be deferred for two years from their most recent injection. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. This is a step in the right direction. What do you think, Greg? Uh,
0: I, I I agree. I agree. I I, I was curious. I was going to look it up, and maybe you know the answer. But I believe that they test the blood supply for HIV, regardless, and a myriad of other.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm pretty sure they do an extensive testing Mm -hmm. for the blood. I mean, you can't just take it out of somebody's body and put in somebody else's. Um, Historically, they learned a lesson about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, to a certain extent, you know, it's it's somewhat moot because they're going to test it anyway. But uh, obviously it's you know, there's a stigma associated with being gay. Um, and, and, and this, this, you know, blood thing has, has, is, you know, part of that. Although I, you know, I want to be sensitive to the fact that obviously anybody who is infected with any sort of infection or virus, we don't want giving blood to, to anybody else. But this, these question this idea that if you're gay, What what was the old regul What's the old regulation now? Did you say if you're if you're gay and you've had multiple partners, or if If you're gay? Period. I
1: think under the current rule, if you are um, a man and you've had sex with a man within three months, you cannot get blood. Period. Period. Right. So
0: if you're in a monogamous relationship, you know with and you're both
1: still couldn't get. Yeah,
0: right, right. But I would assume that, that you know, the, the question is, are these people being honest when they say that they've been in a monogamous relationship, you know, is the question. But the the, the, the blood is tested anyway. So um, so it's just it. it, it, it it's it, what I'm looking at under the guidelines on Friday. Um, yeah, gay and bisexual men who are in monogamous relations would be allowed to donate blood. Uh, But anybody, regardless of what their gender or their sexual orientation is, who recently had anal sex with new or multiple partners would have to wait three months. So, yeah, I think that this is much better because it gets the gay thing out of it. It's more Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. if you had anal sex in the last three months with a new partner Mm -hmm. then you're going to have to wait. Uh, You know, I mean, I I think that makes perfect sense. Is there a backlash to this? I'm wondering if there's a backlash problem. I
1: think it's relatively new. I have not heard anything just yet,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but I do know that there were people behind the scenes pushing for these regulations to be changed. And so I think for the most part, people would be pleased that they're at least beginning to work on it. Yeah. Changing the rules. Yeah. 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 Um, My question was, you know, what kind of led them to make this decision since these have been the rules for so long? Um, But at the end of this article, there's a statement that says maintaining a safe and adequate supply of blood and blood products in the U.S. is paramount for the FDA, dot, dot, dot. And so my thought is we're always running low on blood. So is this like they were saying, well, maybe we have to give in because we need more people to be able to give? I don't know. Speculating. But I do wonder what you know, led them to this. Yeah.
0: Why now? Why, why now? now?
1: Yeah. Of but the word "adequate" made me question.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think that uh, if you were a crit, uh, if you were kind of a um, conspiracy theorist or kind of a negative person or always look at the negative side, you would say, "Oh, it's because we're going to have a presidential election coming up in the next cycle, and so we're going to try. The left is going to try and do whatever they can to." Right. You know, in gender support. Um, And and I think uh, 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 I was just listening uh, or reading an article and uh, uh, they just released a survey that like 62 percent of the American public thinks the nation's on the wrong track right now, which is kind of surprising. What Uh, percent? 62. 62%. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah. But I I think uh, even though, you know, inflation is coming down, gas prices are coming down you know uh uh labor rates are uh, uh employment rates are at their unemployment rate is at its lowest point in 50 years you know we're moving in the right direction uh but nevertheless when you have such a vocal right just talking about how horrible everything is correct you know, i think it i think it takes hold uh i mean in this society uh i mean i guess everywhere perceptions are you know, 95% of the game and uh, the media really controls the narrative these days, you know, it really.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. Well, you know, they, you know, the religious right often will say the world is just so much worse than it's ever been all of that. And I'm like, if you really step back and look at the facts, we have these kind of larger conversations about what is right and what is wrong in a way that we were not having a hundred years ago. If you think about it, you know what I mean? Two hundred yeah. years ago, slavery was like common. That was like a thing. It was fine. Everybody thought it was just, right. you know, that's like a very big example. But you know what I mean? It's like I actually think, like you said, we're moving in a more positive direction. And anytime you kind of want to usher in these changes, people are going to start to cry and scream in the corner. Mm-hmm. So I tend to lean on that we're actually going in the right direction because we're questioning what has has been status quo.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, so uh, what else do we have?
1: All right, this one is not so encouraging. Utah is the first state to pass a gender-affirming care ban in 2023. Governor Spencer Cox, who vetoed a restriction on transgender student athletes last year, signed a trans health care bill into law on Saturday. So Utah is the first state, like I said, to ban gender-affirming medical care for transgender minors this year. Governor Cox, a Republican, signed a bill Saturday that bars minors from receiving gender-affirming surgeries and places an indefinite moratorium on their access to puberty blockers and hormone therapy. The bill, which passed in Utah State Legislature last week and became effective Saturday immediately after the governor signed it, is prospective so minors who were diagnosed with gender dysphoria before the effective date would still be able to receive a to receive care if they meet a list of requirements. It goes on to talk a little bit more about it. Um, But Cox did issue a statement, legislation that impacts our um, impacts our most vulnerable youth requires careful consideration and deliberation. While not a perfect bill, we are grateful for Senator Kennedy's um, more nuanced and thoughtful approach to this terribly divisive issue, Cox said in his statement on Saturday, referring to this bill sponsor. Republican state Senate, Michael Kennedy.
0: I'm looking to see what a minor is in the state of Utah. Um,
1: It's a good question. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Younger. Wow. I see. I'm looking at different.
1: (laughs) It's not 18.
0: Yeah. In the state of Utah recognizes the age of majority of 18. yeah. Yeah. So anybody under 18.
1: That really scares me, though. That makes me very, very, very concerned. So
0: this is one of these things that I'm like, I do see an argument about somebody who is six, seven, eight years old, you know, not really, it's not really time yet to decide to start having, to start screwing around with the body. You kind of want to wait around a little bit to make sure that this is really the right course. I do see that argument. I know it's, you know, it sounds like I'm speaking for the right, but what do you say to something like that? Like, how do you respond?
1: Well, my thought is that, I mean, I see gender-affirming care as healthcare sincerely. Um, And so my thought is, who gets to dis- make those decisions for a child, right? In my mind, the doctor who has guidelines to go by, guidelines that have been approved, right, by all of the medical governing boards, to me, it would be between the doctor and the parent and the child. Now, do all would every child who shows up, you know, do they, do they all need puberty blockers? Do they all need to have gender affirming care, gender affirming surgeries? No. But that's not a decision for the government to make, right? Um, that that that's my stance. Like literally it is in my mind, you go by what has been medically approved by the governing bodies at, you know, at bay and then parents and their doctors. The government doesn't. I just feel like this is the government again is like finding the thing. The far right is finding something to use to dangle in front of, you know, their constituents to get them riled up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that they actually care about this. Right. I really don't, I don't think they actually care about this. And what they're doing is they're toying with the health of children. So, I mean, it's been proving that gender affirming care can actually help the mental health of children. It really, really does. Yeah. Depending,
0: like, upon child, depending upon the child, agree. Depending
1: upon the child is too individual. Every, what the healthcare you get is not the healthcare that I'm going to receive. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, the government doesn't say there's one way to care for both of us. You know?
0: Yeah. Um, no. I, I just
1: want. I just wanted to be between the doctors and the parents.
0: Yeah, it's. I. I agree. I mean, it, it, it's kind of the same. Well, it's. It's. It's similar to the argument around abortion, really. You know yes. that this is. This is. It, it, the other thing. The thing about it is again, and this is this is very much like the same argument about not allowing uh trans uh uh i guess um men to women to play on women's sports in high school you know they're passing Mm -hmm. these laws Mm -hmm. uh it's such a t90 number of of people that we're talking about yes and it's just interesting to me that you know we're paying you know we elect and we pay these legislators and this is what they spend their time on you know they have mm-hmm. these staff writing all these laws debating these laws passing these laws and um you know mm-hmm. the media is talking about them and everything and it's just like meanwhile you know we're not focused on the environment we're not focused on right. the state of the economy we're not focused on um Uh, It's a huge distraction. All kinds of, yeah, but but this is where they're going to spend their energy. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it is, it's so obvious that Mm -hmm. it's it's just a ploy to rile up the right. Um, Exactly. When ultimately you're right, it comes down to the specifics. And, you know, I am quite sure that you can find somewhere in the country, Mm -hmm. some kid who mm-hmm. went through gender affirming you know they they mm-hmm. uh, you know some sort of and had some sort of a negative outcome from it i'm mm-hmm. sure you can mm-hmm. find somebody you Absolutely. know but do we let the you know are we going to like hone in and you know decide we're going to legislate you know, it just it just seems like way down the list of priorities that's what bothers me about it but it's working It is working. working.
1: Oh my God, it's working. It's working. I mean, but to that point, think about people who go in for medical care for any other situation they might be in physically and they do something and there's a a not negative, like there's a negative outcome. You know what I mean? It's like healthcare is a practice anyway, right? We're doing our best. We're trying our best and seeing what the outcome is going to be. So I don't know. I don't think they actually care. And that's the worst part about it. I don't, because if they did care, we'd be worried about other things. We wouldn't be having this conversation if they were really worried about children. Right. Um, But I won't go go down that rabbit hole today.
0: Yeah. 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 It's anybody under 18.
1: Yeah. um, Which is
0: 17 year old, you know, that's old enough. And the other thing that I think is true um, is that, that that if you decide that you are going to make this transition, I think the younger you do it, the easier it is. I may be wrong, but I thought that was the case. It would seem like it would be in terms of mental state anyway.
1: Yes. I've been told because a lot of the gender dysphoria, I, I believe, can really come about during puberty. Mm-hmm um and so it it can be helpful to you know say start a puberty blocker or something like that before the child actually starts to develop into a physical body that they do not see themselves as yeah. so um
0: and really um, i mean you know we talk about how it riles up uh the right but really it's like wh- why it, what is it riling up well it, you know there's it's this whole challenge to the traditional you know what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and you know there's only two sexes and if you're saying there's more than two sexes and you know I'm I freak out you know I'm cisgender yeah. and I can't handle that you know so yeah. therefore because I can't handle it yes you can't do it You, the stranger who lives in Utah while I'm in California, you know, like, well, it affects me so emotionally at some deep level. So therefore, I'm going to reach over through the federal government or through the state government all the way over there and make you not be able to do it. But yeah, I don't want that. But I don't want the government. I want less government.
1: Less government. I know. <laughs> I, I, exactly. No, I mean, I think they're being convinced that their position in society is being threatened.
0: Right. Yeah. And
1: so, you know, when someone's position is being threatened, you got a whole, like, power control dynamic going on here. And, yeah, it's – but I think we're only going to see more of this. Yeah. Um, I think so
0: for the, for the time being, what else do we have? What other great news do we have?
1: (laughs) I know. Right. How many more stories we got time for?
0: Oh, we're, we're good. We're we're good. good? Yeah. All
1: right. So I got this one is, you know, world athletics proposes tighter rules for transgender women athletes, right? So the proposal would impose more stringent testosterone limits on trans women competing in world um, in women's track and field events. Okay, so on Saturday, World Athletics said it is consulting with member federations on a proposal that would impose more stringent testosterone limits on transgender women athletes competing in women's track and field events. The governing body's proposal stopped short of calling for an outright ban on trans athletes and said it arrived at its quote unquote preferred option. After reviewing a number of new and existing scientific studies and observation from the field, World Athletics stressed that no final decision has been made on the matter after the UK's Telegraph newspaper reported on the discussions, quote, putting forward a preferred option is the best way to gather constructive feedback, but this does not mean this is the option that will be presented to council or indeed adopted, World Athletics said in um, in a statement. The option being discussed would cap the maximum amount of plasma testosterone for transgender women and those with differences in sex development at 2.5 something per liter. Half of the current limit, which is a five, right? So they would be cutting the limit from five to 2.5. They go on to talk about this. So basically the World Athletics is trying to decide what is a fair amount of testosterone for a woman to have in her body to be able to compete. When I was first reading this, I was like, oh my God, this is going to affect trans women. But what if there are biological women who have high levels of testosterone?
0: Which there are, which there are. Yes, there are. Yes, yes. I
1: was like, holy crap, this actually is like, we're talking about trans women here, but like, no, we're really could be talking about any woman who's competing.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I,
1: this this is
0: this is so interesting to me because really, in a way, we're kind of talking about the same issue, and mm-hmm. that is, um, if you, if 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 we as a as a society are evolving to a point where we're not we don't really, we see a man and a woman as existing kind of on a continuum. And, um, there's not just like a blanket definition of a man and a woman anymore. Um, but then when you look at athletics, it's very much segregated, right? It's like, if you're a woman, you go here. If you're a man, you go here. So it's not surprising that you're going to have this, uh, Mm -hmm. issue, uh, yeah. If you're if, when you when the lines get blurry um, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think that it, the World Athletics Association or whatever the group is, and I, I think it's not just them. I, I mean, I think that, you know, these rules exist for Olympic athletes as well. Yes. Um. Uh. But, uh, it, you know, you're you, they're going to have to try and make some side of some sort of line of demarcation. I, I understand what they're attempting to do. Uh, but really the, it's almost as if the problem is, well, there, you know, you're a man, you go here, you're a woman, you go here, you know, that's how it's been forever. But I mean, Mm -hmm. this really challenges that whole notion. This whole idea of gender fluidity challenges the notion that exists in the athletic and I'm not casting judgment on it at all. I'm just, I'm not coming down on one side or the other in terms of an opinion. I just, I just think it's fascinating. Ultimately. You it's know, definitely I think it's an
1: unavoidable conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it totally yeah. is.
1: You're right. This is one area that has never been questioned. Like it's it's gendered.
0: And it's there's two of right. them. Right. <laughs> Athletics are gendered. And it's gendered because men are faster than women, mm-hmm. men are stronger than women, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, that's why we have to have these separations. Well, maybe not so much anymore. So I don't know what it I don't know what it means. I'm not freaking out about it and thinking that I'm, you know, I'm going to be all upset about it. It's more of an interesting evolving conversation I'd like to have as opposed to,
1: Oh my God, we can't do this. You know, (laughs) It, it makes me think about how many things on, in like the larger, on a larger scale and bigger conversations are having to be had with this working out some of these kinks. Within yeah. what we consider to be like cultural norms in society, mm-hmm. we're having to have so many different conversations and laws being discussed because things were very black and white, historically, yeah. and, it's, and we're, it's just being proved that it's just like, that's not the case. Yeah. And so a lot of this is, is unfortunate, but like kinks are being worked out. And so I, I do, I think this was inevitable. Yeah. And I think this is going to go on for a, quite a bit more time.
0: Yep. Yeah. Because there's no
1: way to satisfy everybody. And so I think they're gonna really have to figure out what is the best way to go about this. I do think well, I have a question because so I don't know. My one my question is like what does representation look like on these councils who are making these decisions? Like the same way we would be like who represents us in the legislature. I wanna know when these decisions are being made, like who is sitting at the table. Right. no yeah. I don't know, but those would be questions that I have.
0: Yeah. No, I I uh I don't know. I just I, I i don't know. I just think it's fascinating um, the way this is going to turn out. And I mean, what I've made arguments because, you know, there's a lot of people in the uh, gay community, gay women uh, yeah. who, you know, fought for Title IX and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, which allows, you know, women to compete in, in, in sports and, and get funding for that in colleges uh, mm-hmm. in a way that didn't used to happen, that they're concerned about that. You know, so you have gay women yeah. that are like, wait a second, I don't know that I like, the idea of a trans person um, playing. But then I always say to them, well, you know, maybe we should have, you know, height restrictions then on basketball. You know, you're, I'm sorry, you're too tall. You're at an unfair advantage. So you can't play with short. And sort that's of-
1: a big part of it. It's yeah. like some people are naturally stronger and just built differently. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where they'll land with this. I really, really don't.
0: All right. We have time for one more. So tell me what you got, Alexa.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wasn't sure if this was like the best news, but I thought it was, you know, definitely newsworthy for us. Um, Pope Francis says homosexuality is a sin, but not a crime and criticizes, quote, unjust anti-gay laws. So, um, you know, Pope Francis criticizes the laws that criminalized homosexuality as unjust, saying that God loves all his children just as they are and called on Catholic bishops who support the laws to welcome LGBTQ people into the church. Being homosexual isn't a crime, quote Francis said during an interview Tuesday with the Associated Press. Francis acknowledged that Catholic bishops in some parts of the world support laws that criminalize homosexuality or discriminate against the LGBTQ community, and he himself referred to the issue in terms of, quote, sin. But he attributed such attitudes to cultural backgrounds and said bishops in particular need to undergo a process of change to recognize the dignity of everyone, quote, these bishops have to have a process of conversion, he said, adding that they should apply, quote, tenderness, please, as God has for each one of us.
0: Oh, that's really nice. I continue yeah. to love this Pope. I, I get it. It's tough, you know. It's yeah. it, but he's definitely moving. He's still
1: it's a process right That's, yeah. a, that's what I'm it's like these conversations it's like i feel like my friends talk about the generation and in you know the 80s to 90s babies so to speak mm-hmm. and how i just feel like we're working out a lot of kinks so much is changing in a very short amount of time and people are just you know more open and and willing and so you know it's a part of the process this yeah. is a step in the right direction i think for the catholic church
0: yeah churches yep. as a whole so um the thing that you didn't bring up, which I I thought you would, but I um, I did. um, so this is Ron DeSantis blocking an AP African American studies course.
1: I left it alone, Greg, because I'm so <laughs> done with his, you know what.
0: <laughs> it was <laughs> on
1: the list. I was like, I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, so,
0: so this is an advanced placement African-American studies course um, that is being uh, uh, it's it's a trial basis now, and it's in a bunch of states, but mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Florida, Ron DeSantis is banned it, and the reason uh, the reasons are when he lists them, and this mm-hmm. is completely, again, to try and rile up the right, um, and, and one of the reasons is because they talk about reparations and they talk about Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter and Without a, without talking about opposing viewpoints, and it, it, I, I'm not sure. you know, they talk about reparations and Black Lives Matter in a positive light without offering opposing viewpoints, and that's upsetting to him. And it's like, I mean, I don't know, we're teaching about these things to African American kids. I mean, I assume that they would have a discussion about whether or not reparations would actually work or not, you know. But to just ban the whole course, but the thing that makes it relevant for me. Mm-hmm. in specific is that he also lists queer theory as one of the yes. reasons why because it's mentioned and yes. it's like okay so again you know we can't teach anything about queer theory so and 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 queer theory I because I, I looked it up because I was like what mm-hmm. really is it but um it, it's it's a field that emerged in the early 1990s out of queer studies And the term has various meanings, but it's been broadly associated with the study and the theorization of gender and sexual practices that exist outside of heterosexuality and challenge the notion that heterosexual desire is normal. So, again, we don't want to say anything to kids to suggest that being queer is normal. Mm Got to make sure we don't say that because that's political. Yeah. You know, and so this is a direct challenge uh, to uh, the queer community. Um, It's 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 feeding into the shame that we've lived with all of our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And why is he doing this to appeal to, you know, the right uh, as he prepares to run for president of the United States? So, you know,
1: yeah, we're on a slippery slope, though. We're like touching censorship here. So. You know, I think we're on a slippery slope with things like this.
0: Well, there are three students that have already challenged the law. So this will have to play out in the courts. But, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. But uh, all right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate uh, you as always. And um, I will speak to you probably next week. week, Uh, All right. So and we will be right back. Thank you. listening to WRFG Atlanta WRFG provides a voice for those who have been traditionally denied access to broadcast media through a broad base of community elements to guarantee that access In the utilization of the facilities and in its programs the following communities will receive first priority Those who continue to be denied free and open access to broadcast media and those who suffer oppression or exploitation based upon class, race, sex, age, creed, sexual orientation, disability, or immigrant status. To learn how you can support WRFG's mission, please go to wrfg.org.
2: Holding back new story begins where no one ends believe me baby
0: you will love again let me lift your
2: spirit up let me lift your spirit up let me lift your spirit up tonight and know this
0: world I think we'll stop it there. Lift your spirit up, (laughs) which is a wonderful idea. Something that I need. I was saying earlier that I'm um, not really in a great mood. Um, I'll have a show about that, perhaps. But anyway, having some personal difficulties this week. But anyway, uh, that song was Lift Your Spirit Up. Uh, And this is a song from uh, a movie. It was actually written by uh, Dominique Provost Chalkley. Chalkley if I said that it was, it was
2: It was performed by Dom. It oh. wasn't written by, by ah,
0: Dom. Ah, performed? Yes. Isn't okay. that what I said?
2: You said written by.
0: No, I didn't. I said performed okay. by.
2: <laughs> Got it. That's, that's exactly the, what you said, Chris. Yes.
0: That's our guest yes. uh, talking. Her name is uh, Kristen Baker. And um, she is the producer-director of the movie Season yes. of Love. All right. That's correct. Uh, so uh, Kristen is... Um, a award-winning director, an Emmy-nominated producer, and the founder of Tello Films, and she is our guest tonight. Tello Films uh, focuses on lesbian queer content and is actually the first LGBTQ network to receive an Emmy nomination. Uh, she has been producing and directing queer films for how many years, Kristen?
2: Ugh, Greg, too many. Let's not age age me but many maybe 13 14 maybe somewhere.
0: 13 14 years and the okay. the, the audience okay. can't see you but I can yeah. and you look quite beautiful although Thank I, you. although I'm gay so I really have no idea when it comes to women that's actually not true.
2: Oh, that's not true at all. I know. We, we don't don't think beauty is inherent like, don't you just know? Like, oh yeah, that's a you pretty can,
0: person. You can tell. You can tell. Well, yeah. anthropologists have done studies on that, right? Like, there's symmetrical. It's all about symmetrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You are. You are so symmetrical. So you symmetrical. Really so are, are you?
2: <laughs> we are two symmetrical people chatting on Zoom. It is. Let's true. Do it.
0: it is true. All right. Yeah. Well, so I'm introducing the world Um, for those of you that don't know to Kristen. So um, honestly, I mean, how, how many, how many, I don't know, could you say how many movies or um shows that you've produced or directed over the years? It's got to be what 30, 40?
2: Yeah. Probably about yeah. that, yeah. yeah, yeah. If you include like web series, shorts, uh, features, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so, I just started doing features in 2018. But before that, they were all short form uh, content, and there were quite mm-hmm. quite a few. I could churn those out pretty quickly. So, um, uh,
0: welcome to the show. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us. You Thanks are welcome.
2: Glad to be in the ATL.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now you, now you were uh, well, the reason why you're here is obviously. Because uh, in my view, what you've done uh, has probably helped to push uh, queer content in the mainstream, I would imagine. Mm. Um, But I'm curious to know how you got started in this uh, in this world. Were you born? I know you're in Nashville now. Is this where you grew up in Nashville?
2: For the the most part, yes. I can Mm -hmm. tell people where I went to elementary school. Which, oh, is wow. a, which is not always something N- Nashvilleians can do. So but we moved around a lot when I was a kid and we were we were actually in Chattanooga uh, before coming to Nashville. So I'm definitely a Tennessee girl. Um, and uh, but Nashville has been has been home for uh, for my family for for quite a while.
0: So um, I think that uh, uh, just like us in Atlanta, you've probably been blown away with the growth in Nashville over the last. Oh my gosh! Fifteen years, isn't the traffic I'm... wonderful?
2: Isn't... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, it's nothing like yours, but you know, yes, it's um, it well, you hopefully... know with it's it's the growing pains, right? Of of yeah. becoming yeah. a. Uh, a popular destination
0: without any city planning prior to that happening
2: exactly i know right
0: <laughs> well hopefully you'll get as bad as we are uh, but anyway so tell <laughs> tell first of all now i don't even know i assume you're gay is that correct
2: yes i okay. identify, as a identify
0: as a lesbian all right um so um and i just i curious how did you end up getting in this in this business anyway. I mean, it seems like a very challenging arena to get into producing and directing. Um, Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you got started.
2: Sure. I mean, I started, um, you know, it was the thing that I loved in college. So I actually went to school for uh, at MTSU, middle Tennessee state university and got a degree in radio television production and then moved out to Los Angeles to like, you know, conquer Hollywood. And then I just got smacked around. Uh, while I was out there because, you know, I didn't know who I was and I was trying to figure stuff out, figure myself out. And um, uh, so I stayed out there. I did some really cool things, though. I worked in the story department of like a small studio, which means you get all the scripts and you read them and and you send them out for like what's called coverage. And so I learned a lot there. And then I worked for the Writers Guild of America and learned a ton about TV credits and and guilds and unions um, in Hollywood. And then I left and I went into to nonprofit work. I thought I, I, this isn't good for me. I had like a really toxic relationship. So I moved, went to work for the YMCA for 13 years and just couldn't get rid of the bug to storytell. And so um, in 2000, I think 2009, um, I was looking at this Renaissance that was happening with this new channel called YouTube and everyone was kind of doing their own original content. And I thought, and there wasn't a lot of, you know, lesbian, LGBTQ content on. And I thought, why don't I start a streaming platform? But I didn't know how to code and I didn't know how to do any of that. <laughs> so I um, uh, so I c- I kind of cobbled together some angel investors. And just for some reason, the idea of a streaming platform would not leave me alone. Like it was just, it just kept tapping me on the shoulder. And I thought, I've, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to figure it out. And so, you know, I kind of bounced around, made... Um, like I said, gathered some angel investing money and, you know, found a, an amazing web designer who has, who I'm still friends with very good friends with to this day. And, you know, started a streaming platform way, way back when, um, and eventually kind of realized that I couldn't do it for like, I, I couldn't have it uh, for free, like much like Hulu realized ad supported, just wasn't going to cut it. And um, so I, ended up putting up a, what, what they called it at the time, a paywall. So I turned it into a subscription service. And that was right around the time that Netflix was launching House of Cards and that Hulu had decided to do a subscription service. Um, and so we were like lockstep, right, right, happening right along them. But we didn't have the money or, you know, the, the, the ability to get press. And so I was living in Chicago and just kind of making plucky little lesbian web series and, doing my best to get it out and get subscribers um, and you know you know here I am 14, 12 years later um, three Emmy nominations for three of my actresses, four features, five features and and releasing a, um, a, a thriller um, a limited franchise um, at the end of February. So what do, you,
0: what do you mean? What are you launch, launching at the end of February? A limited franchise? What are you talking about? A
2: limited, yeah. So I have a um a thriller franchise called Scare B and B, and it's what's called a limited series. So it's going to be coming out in episodic. Oh, okay. Bites, yeah. I yeah. think
0: the word franchise is what threw me. I didn't know they called. Sure, those yeah, I can understand that.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's just sort of like it's you know it's going to be its own kind of um storytelling. I'm going to do it over and over and over again. So
0: gotcha gotcha yeah, yeah that is um well i i guess uh, to me it just seems like a completely different world well when you were working for the ymca which you said you were with for 14 years did you yeah. still have your hand in this other world because
2: yeah i did i did tell a part-time yeah okay so i would i would have a full-time job and then like early mornings and at night and on the weekends um you know, so that meant I f- had to film on the weekend, or I had to take off, take vacation, and go. You know, film things. But yeah,
0: and what you're doing, I, and and what you're doing certainly at the start and even still involves a lot of other people. So obviously, you must have like a cadre of people that just believe in you and believe what you're doing and feel good about it, right? Yeah.
2: Absolutely, know. yes. No. It is definitely it takes a village to to make a movie and launch a streaming platform and. And yeah, I've been very lucky over the years to collaborate with some just absolutely phenomenal people. And, um, and yeah, just have people who, who felt like I did, that there needed to be stories for the community. And we didn't have, you know, the millions and millions of dollars, and they weren't really making the authentic stories for the community, we felt. And so it was up to us to, to do it. And so, yeah, I've just been kind of working and being, being a scrappy little director-producer.
0: Yeah. And you never, did you ever consider being in front of the camera at all?
2: No, 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 no. I try in college. I, I minored in speech and theater or I minored in theater and I did a couple of plays and I thought I am not good at this. Um, and, and I can't like, you know, like I, but I love actors. I mean, I love them with my whole heart and soul, but I can't go to those emotional places that they that you need to go to and the vulnerability. It's like, I'm not great at that, but I love working with them. So I did take some acting classes so that I could be a better director. So I I, I learned pretty quickly, like that was not for me.
0: Wow. So um, you produce and you also direct. I mean, what is your first love then would you say? Oh,
2: directing, directing. Why? Because I love working with the actors. I, Uh. I just, you know, to be able to see a scene and watch them work and then be able to make these like wonderful minor little adjustments that just make it into, you know, kind of what you end up seeing on screen. And Mm -hmm. and I remember in like 2016, I didn't direct at all. I thought I'm going to produce and I'm going to collaborate with directors. And I I didn't realize how much I missed it and how much I miss like being you know, right there, um, working with them and the DP and everyone else. So it, it was at that, after that year, I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to give up directing. Um, that's that's my first love.
0: So, I, I and just to, you know, give the audience a little bit of idea, can you talk about a couple of um a couple of uh shows or movies that are out there that you you, you know you just want to recommend people to see or things that you feel really proud of or because like if if i'm listening and i want to know where to go to see your work by the way yeah. where, do I, where do i go if i want to yeah, no, stuff?
2: listen greg that's such a great question thank you for asking um sure. so my the movie that we just we had a holiday rom-com that came out in december um that was uh the first non-binary actor, and um, character in a, uh, to be the leads in a holiday rom-com. And I'm being very specific about a holiday rom-com, romantic comedy. Um, and that's called Mary and Gay. And that you can find on a streaming platform, divaboxoffice.tv. Um, and you can rent or buy it right now. And it is, I'm so proud of that movie. I absolutely love it. It has um, the amazing Dia Frampton, and it also has Dolly Parton's sister, Stella Parton, in it, who's equally amazing. Um, and uh, that's a just wonderful, heartfelt um, show. There's uh, the movie that came out with the bionic woman, Lindsay Wagner, um, was called Christmas at the Ranch. And that you can also find um, streaming on divaboxoffice.tv. Um, you can rent or buy it there and you, but that's also on like Amazon. I believe it's on Amazon and Tubi. Um, I hate new years. I'm honestly, I don't know the places that at that that movie is it's everywhere. So if you just like Google it, I'm sure it'll, it'll pop up somewhere. Um, I know it's also available on telefilms.com and season of love, uh, which is the first one we did is also available for rent or buy or to stream on telefilms.com.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of uh, work here. It looks like, and I guess I, I want to ask you, um, I, I about the importance of LGBTQ representation. And
2: yeah.
0: years ago, when you first realized that there was a really a lack of representation, um, and this was what in two
2: thousand
0: eight, two thousand nine, or um, yeah. and I'm trying to think, when did Ellen DeGeneres come out? Um, Ninety three in 93
2: or 90, okay. not, not, sorry 97
0: 97, 97. okay so that yeah. so you but still you know there was a a, a a gay character here and there um but uh uh what well, um but i don't know that there was a lot of of, of certainly not a lot of lesbian representation so yeah. in particular it feels like that's what you were focused on originally at the it time was. yeah it was that's correct. and so but at this point um we see uh In mainstream media, we see a lot more uh, lesbian representation uh, in mainstream uh, film. And I'm wondering how does that affect the relevance of the type of work that you're doing, I guess is what I'm wondering. Like, I could see somebody challenging the need for storytelling in this, you know, as sort of some sort of a separate thing. I don't know. What are your Mm -hmm. thoughts on that? Or how how is it going to change the work that you do? Or does it change the work that you do?
2: Yeah, you know, I was, I was kind of hoping that the work that I'm doing could potentially become not needed. I mean, how wonderful would that be if, you know, you didn't need a streaming platform that, you know, people um, who wanted to see authentic stories that they could come to. I think a couple things. Number one, um, in 2016, um, on mainstream television, there was this bizarre event that happened called the bury your gaze trope, where they basically killed a huge number of lesbian characters that were on TV shows.
0: Really? I did not know yes. about
2: this. Yep. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter picked it up uh, and, and talked to, on it about it. And it caused a huge uproar um, in the community, as you might imagine. And it was just bizarre that all these showrunners of all these TV shows suddenly decided for whatever reason that the one lesbian character that was on the show was going to die. (laughs) Um, Seriously. I mean, there were like 16 deaths, like the number of lesbian deaths compared to the number of characters on TV compared to the number of straight deaths was incredible. So if you, if you Google, if anyone listening, Google's bury your gaze, um, you will find some articles around that. So I thought, okay, yeah. So then that happened in 2016 and it was like, Oh my gosh, you know, like how sad. And then this past year, um, what's happened is a lot of lesbian TV shows that had either lesbian leads or were an ensemble that had a lesbian character were canceled. Um, And so I still think while you can find a lot of wonderfully fantastic characters um, that are, you know, LGBTQ representing both, you know, male, female, non-binary that identify in the LGBTQ space, there still doesn't seem to be the support that is needed from our, our straight friends who are making the decisions. So they'll decide to put something in, but will they give it the time and attention that it needs to develop a fan base to put marketing dollars behind it? And I think that sometimes can get, you know, uh, can, can, can have a negative impact. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like, as soon as we kind of make an advancement and it's like, Oh my gosh, there's, five or six TV shows that have, you know, lesbian or, or, you know, bisexual queer female characters, they're, they're gone, they're canceled. And there's not enough of a, sometimes of a groundswell of, of people um, to kind of come and pick that up. So my, my goal is to grow my influence, my platform um, to be able to pick up these things or mm-hmm. to, to, carry them along in some way. And, you know, we've been super small um, in the the past and and we're working on that. But that's sort of like my big hairy audacious goal is when there's a wonderfully popular TV show, can we take it and turn it into a movie so that we, you know, kind of firefly and serenity. I don't know if the group, the fans are know that story, but, you know, I think there's a a space, a monetary space too, to see this uh, in in a successful way. And there's been a few times where the community is like really, you know, risen up to um, um, support. And and I want to be a vehicle and a conduit because right now they're screaming at a bunch of straight white men, right? And they don't care. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, right. you know, I was talking to someone on the phone and I was like, Netflix doesn't care. Netflix it is, is the algorithm. The algorithm is all, and they will. They will look at a show and the algorithm and the cost of it and make their decision. They don't give a fig about who it may or may not be hurting in, in their heart, in their life, in their, you know, and I think representation, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm not being flippant about this at all. I believe this from the beginning. You, you, in order to survive and feel as though we are worthy, we have to see our stories represented. Bye. And so no one's asking what the relevance of BET is. You know, no one's saying, you know, there's too many Dick Wolf crime dramas out there. No one's saying that. But, you know, suddenly there can be too many LGBTQ shows or we have our one. And it's it can get really, really frustrating. So that's why I want to be able to be the decision maker and go, this is important because it can help save lives. It can help people feel like they have a community. It will help them feel like they are valued. Their stories are valued. Their love is valued.
0: Yep. Yeah. I And, you know, you said that your the decisions are being made by straight white men. And I would say even some gay white men. And honestly, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. I don't know that like a middle-aged gay white man is that interested in lesbian work. Now, they might be interested in gay male work because there's a lot of humor associated with it. And they might be interested in trans because... It's the latest thing, you know, but I can yeah. totally see <clears throat> a lack of female gay representation, you know, and that's still being an issue. Regardless, like this thing that happened in 2016, you know, I don't know that they all got together and said, you know, let's kill off no. all the gay women. And no one's suggesting I'm not,
2: that. I'm, no, not, right. it, not at all. But it but was something fact, where it was like, yeah. But because it happened.
0: Yeah. Because it happened. We, we need to do something, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. so
0: all right okay yeah. cool well um uh anything else that you wanted to let us know about i want to make sure that people need to know where to go so sure. is your your um where do people go to see your work like where if i wanted I, to I would,
2: see yeah, all the I would stuff that to, you do yeah totally so if if you go to diva box TV, that's a streaming platform that um i have I've picked up from the UK and relaunched it um, worldwide. So I'm, I'm no longer doing the operations of Tello. I've stepped back from that um, company and the other two owners are running kind of the day-to-day operations. And I'm really lucky that I was tapped by um, some colleagues of mine who had a streaming platform in the UK and they were like, hey, why don't you take this and, and relaunch it in, in the US and worldwide and run with it? And so in December 1st, um, we relaunched divaboxoffice.tv, and that's where a bunch of my stuff is for rent or buy. So you don't have to join it because I know some people have streaming fatigue. So you can join it as a, you know, streaming service, which you can see a lot of great lesbian and queer female content. Or you can also rent or buy, um, you know, a lot of the, the work that I've produced and directed. Um so that, that I would say is a great place to start. You can also go to telefilms.com and you can rent or buy, I think I hate new year, season of love. Um my more recent work is on uh, divaboxoffice.tv. Uh and on the socials, I'm Kristen Tello, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-Tello. And then you can also follow DivaBoxOffice.tv on the, on all, on all the social, except for TikTok. We're starting to look at TikTok. Uh we're not there yet
0: all right okay well thank you so much Krishna. i really appreciate you you. i appreciate you coming uh, on the show and uh this is going to be uh it for tonight uh i want you guys to have a uh i want you guys to have a wonderful evening and uh, next up is peach state festival and we will see you next week take care